0: It's The Weekly
1: Show with David J. Maloney. This week, David chats with Oscar-nominated actor Eric Roberts. And now, here's your host, David J. Maloney. On tonight's show, we've got a really special guest. We've been seeing his face on the silver screen and on our TV since, well, the 70s. Uh, His debut role in King of the Gypsies earned him his first Golden Globe nomination, and he simply moved from strength to strength with stellar performances in films like The Pope of Greenwich Village, Star 80, and Runaway Train, for which he received an Oscar nomination. Uh, Here with us tonight to chat about it all is none other than Eric Roberts. Eric, welcome to the show.
0: It's great to be here. How are we
1: doing? We are doing dandy. Um, So, Eric, I had no idea you were born down here on the Gulf Coast in Biloxi, Mississippi, um, and now, if I'm correct, you moved after a few years. But do you remember anything from your from your time here? Any specific memories from your time growing up?
0: Well, yeah, of course I do. Uh, 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 where Where do you want to start? Uh, I remember. I remember. I remember. My earliest memory is probably in Cuba of a little girl selling seashells, and me and me going to ask my father for money. Him 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 giving me money, me paying the girl, and then being very brave and telling the girl how beautiful she was and having her look at me like I was an idiot. And, I, and then and then I tell my dad, you know, she didn't care. I said she's beautiful. And dad said, No, it's okay, she didn't understand you. Oh, why not? Because she speaks in the language, blah, blah, blah. So I got this
1: memories of Mississippi too. Okay. Yeah.
0: So 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 I got this whole lesson in uh in uh in language at, at four years old. But as far as Mississippi goes, I don't really remember a thing.
1: <laughs> well, then, then, then that, that eliminates that question. So <laughs> your 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 parents were obviously very artistic people in their own right, being actors and playwrights themselves. How did your parents go about introducing you guys to the world of acting, theater, and writing?
0: Well, uh I had a trouble stutter as a little boy. So uh but we uh, found out when I memorized things, I could talk without stuttering. So it became an exercise at first and it became uh fun. And then it became um uh, what I did. And so I uh, it just had its steps into every but it, it all it all started out as a bad stutter that I learned how not to stutter by memorizing dialogue.
1: At what point would you say that you got the acting bug was there a moment in those early years that said that's it i'm going to be an actor um uh not
0: specifically but um but whenever i would get an ovation like whenever i would get a clapping ovation for something yeah. i did or said was always magic to me oh my goodness and uh i was always i was always in heaven about that and that 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 happened often as a little boy so it, it was it was i was i was always getting inspiration
1: did did your parents gravitate towards theater or kind of mold you in that direction per se or was that something you just found on your own or did it have to do more with the the whole stutter thing that you were overcoming
0: it all began with the stutter thing but uh i was good at it so my uh my my mom and dad both said you should do it if you like it and they're both very supportive about it
1: so did you have, uh, or do you have any idea how your dad came to be the acting coach for Martin Luther King Jr.'s daughter, Yolanda King? I mean, that came up in my research. I found that bit of family biography a little fascinating. I didn't know if you knew much about it, but if you did, I was kind of curious.
0: Sure, I did. I I I, I grew up with the King kids. Uh y- 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 King, Martyr, Dexter, and Bunny came in our school in 1965 because Coretta had read their integrated and that uh we uh we uh were were looking for students. So she brought her whole family to us and uh y- Yoki and I made friends and then Yoki and I also grew up to go to the same high school together and we were both in student council together. So we both were our whole lives were so intermixed and uh and we were we were pals and to the point where after I became famous she uh, contacted me to uh to work with me. And so we uh we 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 were about to start that when she passed away.
1: Mm. Um, do you remember a specific film or play making a particular impact on you when you first saw it? Like is there one that sticks out in your mind as the the one that gave you either a the most joy or b the most most you know feeling or hit you the hardest?
0: Well, there there are like are like many levels of what you're talking about. As a, as a young adult, the the play I saw somebody else do that had the most impact on me was John Gale Good and Ralph Richardson in a play called No Man's Land, which is on Broadway. I only saw the second half, the uh, the second act of it about twelve times because I would sneak in to watch it. I never saw Act One, but uh, <laughs> that that play showed me what it's like to have the weight of dialogue and character on your shoulders, your half the show, and what you can do with it or how you can fail with it. And uh, they were both so incredible as actors, as sesbians, as men, that I got many lessons every night watching them in act two.
1: So you went on to study at some of the best acting schools in the world from London to New York city. Did you have anyone in your class who you later got to work with professionally or anyone who that broke into the business? Like, like you did the same way.
0: There was a guy named Neil Maron. He became a producer of Broadway shows. You should look him up. You should Google him. Neil Maron, M-E-R-O-N. I believe that is the spelling. And, uh, uh, uh he he and i met in london uh and um in camden town we stayed at the same dorm house and uh he was just a delightful person and he and he grew up to be a successful producer
1: um can you walk us through getting your incredible breakout role in king of the gypsies i mean what's the story there how did that come about
0: well uh let me see uh it's January of 1978, I've um, uh, just come back from uh, from from uh, Georgia where I was down there for a funeral. And I've just come back and my manager hands me a script. He goes, here's a script called King of Gypsies based on the book by Peter Moss of the same name. Do you know who Peter Moss is? And I said, yeah, he wrote Serpico. Sure, we all know who Peter Moss is. He says, well, here's Here's King of Gypsies. It's the same kind of, you know, biographical thing, blah, blah, blah. I read it. I fall in love with it. Wow. This is cool. Yeah. Well, here's the script by Frank Pearson. And I read the script by Frank Pearson. Okay. Frank is also going to be the director. Do you know who Frank is? No, I don't. He tells me, wow, I'm impressed. That's cool. Now, six degrees of separation, which I found out 30 years later is my wife had just done a movie with Frank Pearson. And, uh, and, uh, uh, and my wife had also been in a movie called Animal House while she was pregnant with her oldest child, which the horse story is a story that I told Doug, Doug Kenny that he put in the movie about about the death of the horse and sawing up the horse. That was a story I gave Doug Kenny. So so, so six weeks of separation all over the place. And I told Doug Kenny because Doug Kenny was dating a woman I was doing a play with at Joe Papp's Public Theater. So it's all kinds of interwoven stuff with lots of people, lots of cool stuff. Happen. What? Oh, but how did gypsies happen? So, so that's where I'm at at that time. And uh, my 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 manager hands me that script and that book by Peter Moss. I read them both. I go in and I audition three times for Frank Pearson, and I get a screen test. Now, the day of the screen test was the biggest snowstorm to date in New York City that ever happened. It shut down the city. All the trains shut down, all the buses shut down, there was snow up to my knees, everywhere. I lived on the Upper West Side, which at the time was very cheap. It, it was not as she-she as it became yet. And uh, I lived on West 73rd Street. So I walked down to the Gulf and Wester Building to have my screen test. Of course, everything was late that day because of the snow. So I curled up in the corner and went to sleep. And stuff for about three hours. They wake me up, Mr. Roberts. Your screen test. We're gonna put some, some 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 makeup on you and shoot your screen test. Great, I did it, and I got the part. And that was kind of how it worked. Frank 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 showed the screen test to Dino De Laurentiis and said, "This is who I want." And uh, and the Dino said, "Of course, that's who you want. He's great." And they gave me the part. <laughs>
1: What, what could have possibly prepared you so young to give the kind of performance that you gave in that film? I mean, it seems like right out of the gate, like, boom, you were in the awards conversation. I
0: just, I, I'd done lots of plays. I had lots of experience and I was very lucky and I was at a turning point in my life. I had just lost my father and, uh, I felt very, very singular how one does after death of a, of a family member. And, uh, and uh, I I just felt brave, <laughs> and I just attacked it. And I got somebody watching who mattered, Frank Pearson, and he uh, he made me a movie star.
1: While you were shooting, did you feel like you were giving an award-worthy performance? I mean, did you feel like you were shooting something special, or was it so new to you that you didn't even realize how good you actually were?
0: I felt I was kicking ass. <laughs>
1: So what do you remember about your first day of shooting? I mean, here it is your debut feature, standing in the same room with such an incredible cast. Were there anybody did anybody there put you at ease? Or did you just come in like, I'm just, were you cocky? And did you just come in and just go, I'm gonna go grab this thing and run with it? How, what was the what was the mood?
0: My first day of shooting, I lived on the upper west side when it was kind of slummy back in this is 1978. And uh, and uh it's January, it's it's no, it's uh close to Valentine's Day, my first day of shooting. Yeah, and uh I get up and I'm very nervous. I only slept a few hours and I get up and I realize I'm gonna go make my movie. Oh my god, I'm a wreck. Oh Jesus. Okay, I know my lines, I know myself, I'm ready to go. I go downstairs, there's a car. I said to the guy, you know what? I don't- I'm really nervous. I have trouble breathing. So, how about this? I get on my bike, I follow you. We're going, we're going to the to the to the queen's to the queen's studio, right? He goes, Yeah. Okay, I'll follow you. He goes, I don't think that's very copacetic. I said, Well, I need it, man. I'm nervous. He goes, Okay, kid. He drives, I follow him. We get there. He pulls over. Here's the studio. Okay. I pull up on the on the sidewalk. Boom, There's a guy and this other guy, this, this young yeah, movie star-looking guy, an older fat guy, and they're standing there. And I pull it in front of them. Hi, how you doing? And it's my producer and his son. It's uh it's Dino and Federico. And Dino says, What the bah, 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 motorcycle, blah, 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 This big fit. And uh, I'm told I can never ride the bike again while I'm making a movie. <laughs> and then I said, So uh, so my first day on the set, I got in trouble, and um uh, they told me I was never ride a bike again, especially while I'm making a movie and I'm an idiot and blah, blah, blah. And okay, now we'll go to work. And uh, so an hour and a half was spent with that when I showed up. So, but I got that out of the way and everybody was very good to me, especially Shelly Winters. Shelly Winters treated me like a real thespian, like a real actor, and I was there for a real reason. And she treated me with utmost respect And it was very, very endearing for a young guy at 21 years old to to be getting all that from a two-time Academy Award winner. So so that was cool. And also, Susan was also very sweet to me. And Brooke, you know, taught me how to have fun on the set. And uh, yeah. And Sterling Hayden, when I met him, he was smoking hash in his trailer. So that's a dichotomy of where I was at with, with my first movie.
1: When did you first find out that you'd been nominated for a golden globe and and where were you?
0: Well, that golden globe, they stopped that category after that year. It was, that was a category they always had called best newcomer. And, uh, I, I was in it that year and I lost to Brad Davis who won for Midnight Express. And, um, uh, but I was at a really cool table with, uh, with, uh, who is the guy from A Man Called Hard- uh, uh, Richard Harris and uh, Ann Turkel and uh, just a bunch of cool people.
1: How did your role for Star 80 come about? And is it true that you portrayed the character so well that you were essentially typecast kind of in the dating scene where women presumed you were as bad a person as you played in the movie? Is that a true story? <laughs>
0: Well, let me let me give you an example just mm-hmm. just to not to not give an opinion about it but just an example of the situation without opinion is that i would walk down the street after store 80 came out and a woman would see me a block away you know walking towards me stop and cross the street i mean it got bad dude they were scared of me and uh and uh yeah and uh it's and you don't have time to explain. I'm only an actor, oh. <laughs> you know. Yeah, it was bad for a while. People thought I was that guy, and uh that poor guy had some issues.
1: So you followed up with the Pope of Granite Village, another heavy hitting acting job. I mean, geez, the scene between you and Mickey Rourke, where you explain they took your thumb, the the Charlie, they took my thumb scene is truly incredible acting from both of you. What do you remember about filming that scene with Mickey? I mean, that is, I mean, it's funny. I was, I was talking with, I I mentioned to my, my father that um, that I was going to be interviewing you today. And immediately he, he went into Charlie. They took my thumb.
0: (laughs) I love hearing that. Well, here's the deal about that day is the night before that day, I knew I had that day coming. And my oldest sister, Lisa, and I had worked very hard on that scene in my private time together. She, uh, she ran it with me a lot. Uh, cause it's the kind of scene that, uh he's not, he's not of this earth and that he's on drugs. He's on painkillers, all this stuff, but he's also reliving the experience. So he's going through it to some degree, but he's all effed up. And, uh, so it was a very tricky scene that you couldn't play. You uh the only way to to make it funny was to really jump at the tragedy of the scene. And uh and uh so and the and and like and like and like Mickey has one line in my monologue. And like Mickey is an actor who does not learn lines. He's totally improvisational, and if you can't keep up you're left in the dust. It's as simple as that. And you know, he's a real actor. So you got to keep up. Okay. But I told Mickey, Mickey, you got one line tomorrow. I need the line because it's a transition change in my speech. And my speech is three pages long. I got to have your line when it comes, not just casually when you feel like it. I need the line tomorrow. Because it'll
1: throw you off otherwise because you got everything else prepped around that.
0: Right. He goes, no sweat, Ace. You got it. I said, thank you, Mickey. I love you. See you tomorrow. But I go, okay, I get back to work.
1: I think I know where this is going.
0: And we're, and we're <laughs> having a, a little a line run through. He does not know his one line. I said, Mickey, learn your effing line. I'll be in my trailer when you learn it. It's the only time I ever pulled an actor routine than Mickey. Mickey, learn your line. I'll be back when you do. That kind of thing. <laughs> and he learned his line, and we and we knocked it out. And we did it in two takes and uh it was one of the three or four hardest monologues I've ever had in my in my 44 year film career and uh and Mickey and I we were so bonded during that movie anyway that everything we went through was an experience for both of us and uh so you, we got through it together and uh and you know you know uh I was very proud of it. And, oh, yeah, here's what happened, too, is I cry so much in that sound. Linda, I'm letting her run crying. Yeah. Ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba. And so, and so um, for, 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 for take two of the thing, for the, for the inserts, uh, I rubbed my eyes. Ugh. Anyway, I scratched my cornea. So, But I, but I finished shooting the scene, we, we had you know, corny medicine you put in my eye. It hurts so bad to scratch your cornea. Oh man, is it painless, like a broken nose. It's really bad. So so they uh, give me a cornea medicine to uh, to kill the pain and we shoot um, the scene later on in the afternoon that day when he, he gives me soup and I have my favorite improv line where I say, white bread, no one of these wasps got no color. And, uh, and, uh, and yeah and uh that was that situation it was a great day on the set and i had my best acting buddy with me and we killed it
1: was was so you that whole scene because i was going to ask you that whole scene was scripted none of that was improv by you or was, or did you take some liberties oh no
0: that monologue was all vinnie patrick that was uh, all vinnie patrick's words man the only thing i added was white bread. No one of these was got no color. The rest of that whole thing was him, dude, and uh, every syllable. And I respected the writer.
1: Wow. What What did you use to inform your performance in that picture? I mean, I mean, because you had to draw from so many different places. Where did you? Was there Was there some place you drew from for that?
0: Well, yeah. I mean, uh, uh, he was me in another context. In that, you know. He was a guy who wanted to be a tough guy. He wanted to be, he wanted to be a mobster. He wanted to be this and that. All the things he was not. And I, as a kid, was <laughs> very short up till I was 19. I grew six inches in one year at 19 years old. Oh wow. So in high school, when I got into high school, I was four foot ten in the eighth grade. Uh when I was when I when I was in driving, I was five feet tall. I was a little person. And I thought I was going to always be a little person because I had two grandmothers who were both under five feet tall. So I thought, well, I got the short gene. I'm going to be a punk, you know. And uh, so and I was in the South and I was in the South during the civil rights era. So everybody was a little testy. (laughs) And uh, I was a little short and uh, I was an actor kid. What was to like about me? So I got picked on a lot. And so I learned how to fight. And uh and uh and and I became known as watch watch that little guy. He he's a handful. And uh, you know, and and uh so I understood being left out. I understood n- not being who you wanted to be. I understood, um being needy in that aspect of yourself, having no sense of self in that aspect that that had pride to it, and uh, Paulie Jaboni was was uh, was uh, was a skinny, frizzy-haired kid who wanted to be a tough guy and was not, and uh, but was going to be no matter what. He was going to be a tough guy, and uh, and uh, he like, failed miserably every time he attempted it, but he kept trying, you know. And and I just loved him very much. And in fact, in January of that year, when I got that script and that book, I was told by the producers, pick a part, Paulie or Charlie. And I picked Pauly. And they said, you know, we wanted you to pick Charlie. Why'd you pick Paulie? And I said, it's a better part. And they said, but Pauly's a leading man. He's handsome. He's cool. You know, blah, blah, blah. He wears suits. And I said, Yeah, that's not my guy. <laughs> I said, okay, so we're we're uh, we're we're uh, we're gonna go after Mickey Roar. I said, great. And they did and they got him.
1: And we made a great movie together. Absolutely. So the the next film, and speaking of learning how to fight, the next film that, I mean, really, 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 truly proved your acting skills to all of us was your incredible performance in Runaway Train, in which you received an Oscar nomination. How did that job come about?
0: Well, that was just an offer. They uh, they sent me that script, the Golden (laughs) Globes, sent me that script, and they said... uh, We'd like you to play this part." Now, when I read the script, he was a tough kind of a new kind of a guy. He was this tough guy. Yeah, I'm mean, in this statuary rape because I like young women. Not a very likable or very appealing or very fun part to play. So I said, I don't want to play this part unless I can take him in a whole other genre, a whole other personality, a whole other dynamic. I can make him a punk kid But he's going to talk like this. She ain't going to have a deep voice and I want to make him a country boy. Which, you know, I I didn't know she was 16. I thought she was like So it's okay with the audience that he made a mistake and that who he slept with. It's not it's not that big a crime. It's a mistake, but it's not a crime. That's what I wanted to, to, to give this guy because it was statutory rape. So that's so distasteful. Because it's such a crappy crime, I did not want to make him a crappy person necessarily. So I changed how he talked. I, I like I met him talk higher. He's country, uneducated. And I, I asked the director who was Russian, can I do all this? And he said, of course you can. We hired you because you're a great talent. You do what you want. But I realized he didn't have an ear for a Southern accent. He didn't know what I was doing. And I realized that about about a week into rehearsals because like, we had we had two weeks of rehearsal and i realized wow i think i think maybe he just doesn't know oh god and i asked john Voit, how do you like what i'm doing i like what you're doing and and i was on i don't know i don't know about john either because john was wearing a whole body suit because john yeah. only weighed 160 pounds and he's over six feet tall so he was really super skinny but he has bodysuits, So he looked all muscular and big. He was not muscular and big. He was a skinny cat, but he has a big bodysuit on. Anyway, I was, I was, I was very nervous about that part at first, but John was so good in the part. And I love working with John so much. And I also found out years later that John and I have opposite politics, which I had no idea of knowing at the time, because we just dealt with each other as actors in the, in the characters. And so I knew nothing about John except as that character. And uh, he was such a badass, and we had so much fun together. And it was cold, and it was dangerous, and it was hard yeah. shooting on a real train. It's so much work. And, and you know, every take is eight minutes long, for Christ's sake. And you're on a train, and you're shooting on film. You know, we didn't have the... Uh, the uh, the luxury of digital, you know, we're 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 like shooting film. It, it was hard, man. It was a hard hard shoot, but uh, John Boyd, uh you know, made it worthwhile.
1: I, I and you mentioned the Russian director, and and, and that was Konchalovsky, right?
0: Andrei Konchalovsky.
1: And 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 I believe the story was by Akira Kurosawa. Both That's of right. them are luminaries. You obviously worked one on one with Konchalovsky. Um, was Kurosawa ever on the set while you were filming, or was he already off shooting Tora, Tora, Tora?
0: Never saw him. Never saw him. Never um, saw him. Just Andre.
1: Now, is there a, a me- memory or moment that stands out to you the most from your experience on that film? W- was it the, 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 a fight scene on the train or some other some other aspect
0: it was fear
1: uh
0: <laughs> i got in the stuntman association in 1982 because bob posse wanted my face with the background of of the of the distance of a of a 50-story building and me hanging out of it and he wanted that so he had to make me a member of the stuntman association just to get that shot so they did. So I was in, so I was a stunt man suddenly. So, okay. So I started doing my own stunts, you know, crazy stuff. Like I got hit by a car in one movie. I, I did that. I did all kinds of stuff. That was kind of, kind of stupid. Well, I'm on runaway train and I'm behind John's stunt double. And we're walking on the outside of the train and the train's going about 40 miles an hour and we're all roped off. You know, we're, we're like, we're like tied to the train we cannot die. But I'm walking around b- behind John Stunt Double, and I slipped on the ice and I said, probably this much, hmm. probably that much, maybe that much. I freak out. Oh, my God. Because you know, the, uh, the train's going 40 miles an hour. I'm thinking god I could be dead I could be over I could be done this could be the end of my career right here on this stupid night shoot on a train this is ridiculous I'm never doing stunts again and I take up all my stuff and I I'm, I'm crying being a big baby and they totally freaked out and and I never did a stunt again uh and uh, so 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 a runaway a runaway train end of my stunt career uh because because i'm a sissy i get scared man (laughs) i got scared and uh but uh but it's an experience that i've almost never had with an actor that i had with john voight john voight and i dug in and kicked ass together and we were so miserable and we had so much fun and uh it was a hard movie to shoot man it was really work and um John was a great buddy. He was a great teammate. He was a great co-star. And I'll always love him for that from the bottom of my heart.
1: As I recall, I think that was Danny Trejo's first film. And I think he had essentially pretty much just come straight out of prison himself. So did he have any tips for you either about prison life or fighting before that fight scene? Or did you guys just go at it from the get-go and he's a new right. guy and...
0: Oh no. Oh, Action.
1: No.
0: Oh no, you don't do that in movies. No. Uh Danny Trejo, I got Danny Trejo into that movie because Eddie Bunker told me and Eddie, Eddie Bunker is the guy who took the who took the a uh, a uh, Kurosawa monster and, and he made yeah. it into 99 pages. Uh he took like 300 pages and he made it into 99 pages. That was Eddie Bunker. And Eddie, Eddie Bunker who served 18 years in Folsom comes to me and he goes okay you got this fight scene coming up i want you to pick a friend of mine i said uh to fight okay is he in our weight class so it's not going to be weird yeah he's in your way he's a welterweight okay cool who is he he's a mexican with a tattoo on his chest why want not you pick him his name is danny i want you to pick him okay i'll pick him. they line them all up who you want to box i want the mexican with the tattoo well that's all of them okay I'll be- <laughs> <laughs> so I go get it. Eddie, they they're all mixed. So he describes his tattoo of a little boy on his chest in a sombrero. So I go back, I recognize his tattoo. I said, I want that guy. That guy was Danny Trejo. And that guy started crying right there. Bah, 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 bah. I couldn't believe he was picked. Got very emotional about it. Uh, we made great friends. Uh he 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 uh he uh the uh the uh the, uh, the uh, director said Eric, I want you to make contact with Danny's face in the fight. I said, well, you got to ask, ask the actor then, because I'm not going to he says, he's not an actor, he's a boxer, you can hit him. I said, no, 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 you got to ask him. I'm not going to hit a guy I don't know. You know I'm not going to do that. So so, he, <laughs> so the director, Andre Kaczolowski, very robotic dude. He goes up to to uh, to Danny Trejo and he goes, Danny, may I hit you in the fast, in the fight? He goes, What you're paying me, he can kick my ass. I don't know what they're paying a thousand bucks, whatever. Yeah, whatever. So, so, uh, so I hit him and, uh, I felt bad about it. I did not like doing it, but bam, would pop him in the head. And, uh, we made friends. We made really good friends and we stayed friends to this day. And, uh, in fact, I saw Danny two weeks ago and, uh, we hung out for an hour in a parking lot talking stuff. And uh, anyway, uh, and we made great friends that day and we stayed friends over the years. Danny Trejo, he's a great cat. He's a wonderful human being. And um, I got him in the movies. I'm very proud of that.
1: So, like I said, for this one, you finally got the big one, your first Oscar nomination. When and, well, where were you when you found out you'd been nominated? Was there anybody with you at the time?
0: Sure, I was on... Seventh Avenue in between 54th and 55th Street at the at the at the lobby of my manager's building, and my manager said, ah, hey, "Hey, you just got nominated for an Academy Award." So I turned around, walked in the donut shop, and said, "Who wants a donut? It's on me!" And about everybody a donut, everybody a coffee, and uh, and then I told him, "I'm Eric Roberts. I just got nominated for an Academy Award, and I'm celebrating. Please celebrate with me." And so we did, and uh, I cried a lot off and on all day. And uh, because it is a dream come true and there's nothing better. I mean, I've never won one, but I think there's probably nothing better than, 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 than being told. We're not expecting to hear it to being told. Oh, by the way, you got nominated. Oh, wow. No kidding. It's just the greatest feeling on the planet because as a little boy, you know, we all got our acceptance speech ready by the time we're eight years old. You know, we all had it ready to go. (laughs) Last
1: I read, only 11 sibling pairs have been nominated for Oscars. That puts you and your sister Julia in the same company with Jane and Peter Fonda, Jennifer and Meg Tilly, Shirley MacLaine and Warren Beatty, Casey and Ben Affleck, just to name, you know, a few of the 11. Have you ever just kind of sat back and uh, to and to kind of absorb how really rare and special that 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 family talent and work ethic is? Cause I mean, that's also kind of a testament to parenting too, yeah?
0: You asked me a lot of questions here buddy.
1: Yeah, it's uh, kind of a complex one there, but it, I guess I guess the the uh, where I was going with that is have you ever just sat back and just went, wow, you know, it's really really rare for siblings to to both to both be nominated for Oscars. I mean, the company that you're in is excellent company.
0: I have not ever looked at it as a category thing, but I have sat down probably 30 or 40 times when I'm alone or with the wife and talked about how proud I am of my sister and how proud I am of my daughter and how proud I am of myself and how proud I am of us. And I have that pride in all those areas very strongly where I, if I let myself, I could sob about it because it's so fulfilling and it's so gratifying. And it's so, it's so unbelievably lucky. I mean who has that in their life and i do and and uh the only thing that i did was i did it first because i was first (laughs) and so and so but but uh, um because of my arrival um you know they all got the shot and they and they made it count and they're all Incredible. And that's just th- the tip of the iceberg. There are others in this family who also are remarkable and uh remarkable talents. And I'm related to all of them. And I just take great pride in it. And many well, times I think I think of my sister's fame and my daughter's fame and my fame. And I do, I cry. I just, I just, I'm so happy and so proud and so. I just know the luck involved. I'm so lucky. And, uh, and you know, I got ready to uh, to be an actor for for 20 years, Jim, before I, I know for 15 years, Jim, before I got a shot at a movie. Okay, I made it count. And uh, because I made it count, I got to let them make it count as well. And they made it count. And they're cool peeps too.
1: Well, and but the work ethic really also comes into play here. And speaking of work ethic, I mean, there's literally 700 other stops we could make along your CV. But I'd like to jump forward a little bit and ask you, how did your casting for Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight come about? How did that come up?
0: Uh okay, that's that's uh, that's kind of funny. So, uh, Eric, um, there. Cassian is a very important character, uh, Simonini, and Simonini is my cardiologist. Uh, Simone, what's his name? Uh, Moroni. Moroni. <laughs> all these Italians. Uh, 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 they're Cassian Moroni. And uh, uh, will you read for it? Of course I will. I have no issues reading for it. Okay. Um, put it on tape. And also dress it up like where what you wear as a costume, do the whole thing, props, blah blah blah, do it all. He wants to really feel that you give a crap about being in this movie. Okay. All right. So I did all that, blah blah blah, did the cardio, blah blah everything, blah 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 blah. Send it in. Didn't hear anything for a week. Didn't anything for 2 weeks. did anything for a month. did anything for 6 weeks. Didn't for 2 months. I don't have this part. Four months pass, and I hear. By the way, you got the part. I'm like, oh, cool. Well, when are we shooting? <laughs> well, and then I hear. But, but that's 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 what it's like. Uh, you just you just you wait around up till they maybe want you, and that's what happened. And uh, but if you're a movie geek, which I am. It had the greatest experience of my life in that we're told we're shooting all the Chicago stuff in Chicago and all the other stuff at Pinewood. That was not true. We shot all the Chicago stuff in Chicago, then all the Pinewood stuff. We shot at the Zeppelin hangar 30 miles north of London. It's a hangar that's probably three football fields wide, probably three stories tall. And you walk into it, and it's all Gotham City. Oh, my God. It's a movie geek's paradise, dude. It's so cool. And we shot there for months.
1: That is so nifty. So you were an active participant and witness to Heath Ledger's epic Joker entrance into the restaurant scene um, from the dark night. Had you seen Heath in his full makeup beforehand or did that, or did he just come in like that and everybody had to react and respond? What do you remember about filming that scene?
0: Well, I had already worked with Heath a couple of times, you know, we, uh, uh, and, uh, we knew each other off screen, uh, as acquaintances and, uh, and, you know, he was a cool actor and I've been told he's so into the part, you can't get close to him. Okay. But that wasn't true. He had humor. He had fun. In fact, he did that monologue when all the bad guys are all together. He did that monologue for the first time in a, in a, in a great line through, we call it, you know, he's doing words and he gets through with it and he turns to us, and says, how am I doing? You're doing great, dude. And uh he just he had he was relaxed, he had real humor, he was cool, he was prepped, he was prepared. Uh he was all things that you want. He just he just made a boo-boo and that while he was taking a psychotropics, he took a sleeping pill and he went to sleep too much. And that's unfortunate. We miss him.
1: Um, after that scene wrapped, did you feel like Nolan was capturing something special?
0: Well, as a guy who's a movie geek, as I told you, who would sit around and watch everything, I watch everything, even if I'm not in it, just to, just to, just to be at that at that Zeppelin hangar. Uh, Chris Nolan, you know, you know the uh, the movie system is a fascist system. You have a dictator and everybody else. That's how it works. That's just what it is. And Chris Nolan is a dictator, and everybody works for him. And everybody works for him because they're good at what they do. That's why he hired them. So that's, that's the, the vibe you get. And that's, that's, that's how you act. That's how you behave. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he, he's a boss, man. He's, he's God and we're all his peeps. And, you know, that's what we're here to do what he needs. What do you need, dude? And that's what we do. And it's as simple as that. That's how it works best. And he's a great filmmaker. So we, we do a great job for him.
1: Well, and most people who i've heard listen to talk about him say he's the kind of director who you want to work with and that his passion for cinema is pretty much infectious
0: he's also sweet he's not a, he's not he's not a tyrant he's a sweet guy he's like you know show me this or this show me this or that yeah do this for me okay he's a pleasure yeah and also he's got emma who works with him like my wife emma's kind of sort of his boss As I I even call my wife, the boss. And, uh, you know, yeah, Uh, they have a great, a great relationship. They, they, they talk very straight to each other. I have heard Emma say to him, moving on (laughs) is what it is.
1: So with over 700 film credits under your belt, you've worked with pretty much everybody in the business. You mentioned something about six degrees of separation earlier, and everybody talks about seven degrees of separation with Kevin Bacon. But I bet you there's probably only five degrees of separation between you and everybody at this point, maybe four. Um, Out of all the memories you've made, in the industry, is there an actor or actress who stands out to you the most from your experience with them? Somebody who either you, you learn something new or special or different from far and apart from everybody else, or do you just get a little bit from people here and there? And that kind of helps mold who you are as an actor.
0: I think it's a T.S. Eliot quote. I'm not sure, but it's a great quote. And it goes like this. Young poets borrow, mature poets steal. Okay. Uh I just, I've stolen from everybody I've ever met. And it all started really with Sterling Hayden. Sterling Hayden was this big strapping man, with a big old beard. And he was told to shave his beard by Dino for the movie. And he said, no, I'm not shaving my beard. And Dino says, well, then I'm gonna fire you. Well, you're gonna fucking fire me. I'm not shaving my beard. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, why won't he shave his beard? I'd shave my beard. You know, look at But then, he tells me in his trailer, smoking hash. He tells me, he totally freaked me out. He like sends for me the first time he worked. I'd been shooting for three weeks. It's my first night shoot and it's with him. And he sends for me and oh, I'm Johnny Hayden. How oh, cool. And I go to his trailer I'm a little nervous. Knock on the door, come in young man. I open the door, has she smoked? I'm like, wow, this is not cool. I walk in, have a seat young man. I do, I said, I'm scared to death. Says to me, you get high. I said, I've been known to. Want to get high? No, I can't get high and work. Well, I can. So, what are we shooting tonight? I said, scene 87. I know the goddamn number. What happens? <laughs> I'm a 20-year-old kid freaking out. I, oh, my God. This man is stoned. He's going to act with me. And he doesn't know what we're shooting. Oh, my God. I was free. So I turned the scene, and he goes, Oh, it's a pivotal scene, is it? I said, yeah, it, it is. Okay. How you improvisation, young man? Well, I'm, I'm okay with it. Good. That's what we're doing. <laughs> I thought I was going to hell. But it, it was a great scene. It's great in the movie. I love it. I found a lovely that night forever. And uh We ended up having a relationship after that. And uh, I just love that guy. That moment of fear and realization that I was dealing with a real talent. This is how he worked. Oh, my God. He's a real talent. I've seen this guy's work. This guy can act. This guy's a winner. This guy's scaring me. (laughs) I was scared to death. That moment, all of it, is probably my most profound lesson in The human condition I've ever had.
1: Is there a director who stands out to you the most? I mean, you've, geez, you've worked probably with hundreds.
0: Of course there is. And his name was Bob Fosse. And, uh, that guy was a lesson in everything you wanted to learn about, about, about the self, about why and what, when we do it. And he was a big. Chaser of reason, and uh, I loved him like I love my family completely all day, every day. Fell in love with the guy artistically, in love with him, and uh, respected him like nobody I've ever really looked up to until I met my wife. Probably
1: now, this side of your career, and you mentioned your daughter Emma earlier. This side of your career, your daughter Emma Roberts is a working and successful actress in her own right. When did have you, you seen?
0: Maybe I do.
1: Yes. Isn't when, she remarkable. Fantastic! Incredible. I know. When? When did you first realize, or did she first tell you that she wanted to be an actress?
0: Well, uh, actually, her first thing would have been uh, Johnny Depp and I worked together after he did Twenty One Jump Street. Uh, uh i i uh, uh there was a part for beverly d'angelo's son and uh i had a lot of scenes of him. so i had casting approval over the kid and they and they said how about johnny depp i said of course johnny depp's great the, And uh they uh they brought him in to read how they do for hbo you know and so he did he was great he got the part uh he uh that they they asked me what I thought. and I of course approved him, but I I uh, but it was the uh, the director's choice, and he chose Johnny, and Johnny was great, and we got along fantastic. So it's kind of ironic, six degrees of separation. Again, my kid's first movie is a Johnny Depp movie, and she plays his daughter, who kind of is you know you know you know walked across the screen looking sad, and that's her part, <laughs> and uh, and uh, she uh, she was. Uh, not an actor, and uh, uh, but did that. And then out of that basically caught some interest of some people and uh, ended up uh, at eight and a half with her own show on Nickelodeon called Unfabulous. And from there she 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 became her own little star in her own right and has now become a real movie star in her own right. And it's also become a real actor, which which maybe I do will prove she's remarkable. And I just have never been prouder.
1: Does does is being dad, but also being actor dad, how often or or is it a rarity that you get a phone call about a part asking for a tip or something from all your years in the industry? I mean, is no, that, that-
0: that 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 never happened from my sister and it's never happened from my daughter uh uh we're, we're no that um since we haven't worked together we haven't had a problem to solve together so i uh, know that hasn't happened
1: somebody needs to write something like that and give you guys Give you guys the opportunity to do something like that. So write it up, write it up. There you go. There you go. So, so I mentioned that the over 700 film credits, you're considered by many to be probably the most prolific actor in Hollywood. It, It honestly seems like you've never once let your foot completely off the gas. What has fueled your work through all these years from Oscar nominated films to every other kind of film imaginable? What has kept you going?
0: Now you have you you risk sounding very laddie-di and fake here, but I'm not. This is a fact, a reality. I have the best job on the planet. On the planet, I have the best job there is to have for anybody, man, woman, child, old person, anybody, the best job there is. And I know that. And yet, we went to digital, so we don't have film. So everybody with a camera became a studio. So everybody with a camera can cast who they want to cast in their movie. And they started calling me. <laughs> and my, my wife says we get 30 offers a day from all over the world. So she says to me in the first sort of half, and she goes, Do you want to do this? This is crazy stuff but we have every offer there is from here's a, here's a $5,000 movie by a little boy who needs you as a name for the bank. (laughs) Here's a, every stretch of, every stretch of budget. You can imagine every background, everybody, everybody's making a movie and they're all offering me to be in their movie. And some of their movies are really bad. And some of the movies are not. And, uh, so and it just it went from just let's go try this to let's really do this to we're doing this to now i have two script readers who read everything and i have two piles of scripts one to be read one to be avoided but i read all the synopsises and if i like a synopsis i'll read the script and if i like the script i will tell my wife to make the deal and uh that's kind of our format and uh Every minute I have of every day I have is spent, you know, getting ready to get ready to get ready. And my two readers are delightful and they work their asses off for me. And my wife is my boss. And my wife is my corrector director. And my, my wife is my brains. And my wife is my best pal. And my wife has beautiful big lips I kiss to death. I love my wife.
1: Do you have to keep a suitcase packed pretty much at all times? Then,
0: <laughs> my wife was just saying that the other day. Uh, we uh, we kind of do, sort of, not really, but yeah. I I I I have these two bags that always open in the same place. In fact, let me show you. Yeah, uh, <laughs> suitcase by the door.
1: There you have yeah.
0: it. There you go. Yeah
1: is there anyone in the business that you're surprised you haven't worked with yet that you've always wanted to
0: Quentin Tarantino? Um, uh,
1: I was going to ask you that exact question.
0: I've almost worked with him a bunch. We know each other. We like each other. I love him. He is so wonderfully, peculiarly brilliant. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're working up to it. We'll see. And, uh, I really hope so, because uh, uh, not to sound like an asshole actor, but he needs me just like I need him, and that's a way we we've either yet to explore, <laughs> and it's going to be cool if and when it happens.
1: No, it's a, it's an exact perfect. It it is actually a perfect fit because your s- style with his dialogue. Holy cow. There's no way there's no way that wouldn't that wouldn't be hit out of the park.
0: I understand what you're saying. And I agree wholeheartedly. What that does is it sets us up for failure.
1: Oh, you know oh, well, and I'm, I'm not saying anymore. Not jinxing nothing. So um, it's,
0: it's, uh, it's frightening, but it does set us up for failure. But I agree with you wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly.
1: Is there a type of role or character you've always wanted to play, but for one odd reason or another, haven't gotten a chance to play that type of character?
0: I want to play Nuriev. And I want to play Nuriev at the end of his life. Because there was talk about, about me playing Nureyev about 12, 15 years ago. And then it went by the wayside. But I always held it, so I did lots of homework on him as a personality, him as a type, him as his background. So I know him, and uh, and I even, I even, I even learned to talk like him. He had this very peculiar sort of smoker's sort of very whiskey voice, very Russian, but very, very in the back of his throat, like he was uh, suffering from cancer, even though he was not suffering yet from cancer. And uh, and I just, I just love him. And he also was gay at a time when it was not cool, especially in Russia. Oh, my God. And so he had to put up with that. And uh, so I just want to explore that. I I want to make an understanding of him that's yet to be understood.
1: After over 700 different productions, what is the one that's always going to stand out to you the most as you look back on it? Well, you mentioned Fosse earlier. Is it Star 80?
0: Well, when you've done that many, there's not just one. There are half a dozen. And there's King of the Gypsies. There is Star 80. There is Runaway Train. There It's My Party. There's Love is a Gun. And there's Purgatory. Those six movies make me cry to remember the experience I had with them. I love every other actor I was on screen with them, with them. And uh, there are parts of my life that made me who I am. As an actor and a guy. And um, they're so precious to me. They're like my family.
1: Um. If it's something that you can talk about, and I know a lot of times in your business, there's things you can't, is there something you've got coming up next that you're allowed to talk about that you're able to share with us?
0: What What have I got, Eliza? This is a wife question.
1: Sweetwater is about to come out. And that's Sweet, going to be amazing.
0: Sweetwater is about to come out and my wife says it's going to be amazing. <laughs> uh,
1: um,
0: And then he's right. There's some things that you sort of can't talk about. Yeah, um, a bunch of them I can't talk about. Um. Is really help! Good. Help!
1: Well, I mean, you're about to play er, er, um, Erwin Winkler in something called R. Oh
0: yeah, is really this is him. a really cool job I got. Uh, I'm about to play Erwin Winkler in a movie, huh. and uh, it's really good dialogue. This dialogue is so good, and it's him being what he is. Him being very direct. A guy in charge, and uh, I just and him him saying you get out of my sight with never using that word. He's just wonderful. He's full and rich and smart. And uh I'm having a good time with that one. Uh what 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 else is there, baby? So much. Um, <laughs> oh, there's so much. He says I think that, We are so it. lucky since digital. Digital, everybody who has a camera is a studio and they yeah. call direct. It's been it's been it's been it's been incredible.
1: Well, and it also gives you the opportunity. You've got so many young talent who will eventually become, you know, well-known talent. And in some way, you're actually kind of helping them. Like you said, if it helps them get the bank or helps them get some other actors they might not get because your name's in it, you know what I mean? In some ways, you're actually, by doing what you're doing, even though you're probably working yourself to the bone, you're helping some of these new, some of this new talent Become known that might not have otherwise, right?
0: I know. I I, I kind of resented that at first when when uh, my wife, because I, 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 you know, uh, I would say to my wife, "Where am I going? What am I making?" You know, that's a little, a little, a little back and forth. And uh, when she said, "You're making your 200 bucks and you're going here," what? 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 What do you mean? And she says, "Because Henry needs." Henry needs your name for the bank and blah blah, blah. and the bank of blah blah, blah blah And she explains it all to me. And she sends me on my way. Now, when this first started happening, I didn't like it. I thought, hmm, I'm older than this. But then I started loving it because they're showing up on these shoots with these guys who are real filmmakers, but they're, they're 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 19 or they're 24, whatever they are, but they're children and they're real filmmakers and they know how to make a movie. And they proved to me because I can tell a real film, film, a filmmaker when I watch you on a set, and and I know they're real, and so I let them lead me, and we have a great time together. And I've had so much fun making those kinds of movies, and uh, and uh, to the point where I heard it like got out I was doing that because Quentin Quentin Tarantino sort of talking about it on the internet, which also comes back to to a, your question, which I thought well. When are we going to work together, Quentin?
1: That's just got to happen. Eric, thank you so, so much. I mean, this has just been fabulous and and just so enjoyable.
0: I love your jacket and I love your background. You look great, dude.
1: (laughs) Thank you so much. Ladies and gentlemen, Eric Roberts.
0: Peace out.